You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Good morning, everyone. It's just after 7.30 and you're tuned to Radio 3CR and this is the Sunday Morning Gardening Program. My name is Gwen Elliott. Uh, As Pam Vardy mentioned to you last week at the end of the program, she's having a week off and so we're delighted to be able to let her have that time (laughs) off and hopefully the Easter Bunny finds her wherever she is and uh, we'll have a, a program for you this morning and we hope you're going to have a happy Easter also. Firstly I'd like to warmly welcome Peter who's pressing all the buttons for us this morning and is a very important cog in the wheel. Good morning Peter. Good morning and it's lovely to be in the studio with all three of you and all these lovely plants. <laughs> yes, we have got some plants who've got both beauty and fragrance that I'm enjoying and I'm sure everyone is too. Also we'd like to say uh, a good morning and thank you to Vicky who's going to be answering your calls as you ring in to go on air this morning and to Anne who's going to be taking the off-air calls. So we've got a full team here and in the studio we have Virginia Haywood and Roger Elliott. Good morning, Virginia. <laughs> good morning, everybody. And a lovely morning it is too. Yes. Yeah, and hi from here. Actually, Pam won't need a, an Easter bunny coming because... Footscray, or the the, the Bulldogs <laughs> won last night, and I think I could hear Pam, and she's a long way away, but I'm sure I could hear her barracking. Look, it's been a great a great Easter. I was just delighted with the weather in Melbourne. For all the people who are camping over Easter, it's been fantastic. For all the people who were doing all sorts of outdoor things, raising money for the hospital on Friday, mm. the weather was just so wonderful. And for gardening, it is wonderful also. So, Except, I don't know about you, but my garden is so dry. I think a lot of gardens are dry oh. now. And I, my tank's... My tanks are empty. Mm-hmm. You know, this is I'm in down the Yarra to Valley. yeah, I'm mm-hmm. down to the last eight inches, mm-hmm. and I mean they're very long and very big. My tanks, but even so, you can't really be draining that. I've done it before. Mm. Okay, well, we're going to have to suggest and suggest this morning that people get out there, look for the eggs in the garden, and do a rain dance. <laughs> have all the kids out there with you. Doing a rain dance and we'll see if it works. I'm desperate for a rain dance. But, you know, I have just watched every bit of rain because we've had quite a lot of rain in Mm, Melbourne mm. and I've just watched it swing in over Warburton Mm. and it gets near by a place, looks at me Mm -hmm. and then just turns right Mm. and goes to Hillsville. Mm. It's been patchy. Oh, patchy. That's right. I was talking to people from Western District and it's just extremely dry, Mm. dry, dry, dry there. So... Um, and I was just wondering this morning, sometimes we get a lot of people ringing up with questions. We'd like to hear some good stories today, <laughs> maybe some successes of, of people or even you know pointers to, to maybe doing some things in a different way and a better way. So if people are out there and they've got some good ideas, please ring in. Yes, well, I've been sort of shot out of the water a bit already because I was going to start off by saying there's a lot of... Look, do get a pencil and paper ready, folks. There are a lot of plant sales on at the moment. And I was going to sort of mention that really it's the best time of the year to be planting in Melbourne. Now, Virginia's sort of shot me out. Oh, you can but still plant. Look, I, I, I honestly do believe it is the best time to plant in Melbourne. We've been involved over the years in planting a few country properties up in the Grampians area and Wilson's Prom down Gippsland area. And if you plant now, if you can give the plants a good water when they go in... There are two aspects, really. 
the days are getting shorter, which means if it hits oh, the high 20 degrees or something, uh, which is forecast by the Bureau, it'll stay there for half an hour, an hour or not much longer, whereas in January, February, it might stay for five or six hours at that hot temperature. The days are shorter, so you haven't got the stress on the plants. But the other big thing is the soil is warm at the moment. It's got warm over summer and it's warm. So if you plant your plants now, perhaps water them in um, with a, a little bit of something like plant starter, which is a product designed to promote root growth rather than necessarily the, the stuff we see above the soil. But, you know, planting now, the soil is warm. If you get inspired when you see things in full bloom in spring and plant then, the soil in Melbourne is cold. It's just been through a long winter. The soil is cold and in two months' time you're going to have summer temperatures. So despite, you know, okay, Virginia's got wet, uh, dry soil at the moment and if you have got access to water, you would need to water the plants well when you put them in and keep an eye on them in the next few weeks. Um, but that's but, why I'm so frustrated at not mm. having had rain because I'm desperate to plant. I love planting now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I think sometimes when people plant at this time of the year, they might just, if they go to a nursery, get a, a pot and they may not have watered the pot properly before they plant. Sometimes the, it'll go in slightly dryish. And even if when you water, often that potting mix will repel or yes. doesn't accept mm. the water. So it's it's good to make sure that the plants have a, had a really good soak. I always soak mine in sea salt. Yeah, yeah mm. well, that's fine. And mm. uh, I think that's that's good. But, uh, Walk around to make with sure buckets that... and sea, with plants in it, <laughs> in sea salt. But make sure, yeah, make sure that that root ball of the, the plant itself is wet. wet. Mm. The other thing, of course, is that many people will be um, today having sort of recollections of last weekend or the four days spent at the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show. And if you're anything like us and lots of other people, I think you got a bag when you went in and by the time you came out, it was filled with brochures, uh, notes that you'd written down and maybe products and things too, but everyone came away with heaps of ideas and inspiration and this is the next weekend, so now's the time to, to act on them. So there's so much to do, folks. Uh, and now I'll mention some of the things that are on, and Virginia's got some notices and so has Roger. But there are lots of places where you're going to be able to still buy plants in the, the coming weeks if you didn't get them uh, at the International Flower and Garden Show. Firstly, today, first Sunday of the month, Villa Alba is open. That's, of course, at 44 Walmer Street, Kew, and it's the Villa Alba Historic House and the RJ Hamer Heritage Garden. It's open this afternoon, 1 till 4pm, with $10 admission or $8 concession. So that's something to, to do today, folks. Friday the 10th of April. My goodness, that's next Friday already. You just get over. White rabbits and April Fool's Day and you're approaching the jolly middle of the month. But we've got a few things even into May. But there's a meeting of the Keelor Plains group of the Australian Plant Society on Friday evening, 10 to 8 for an 8 o'clock start. That's held at the Uniting Church Hall in Airport West. I'll give the address in a minute because I should give the topic first. Eremophila. I think the topic might have changed, actually. I think they've got a special auction. Have on, they? Yeah. And I've just noticed in those notes. But if somebody from, you know, whether Anne may like to ring in and just 
tell us whether they got the auction or is it there in Moffler night? Okay, well, look, I'll give Anne's phone number. It is 9336-3228. It'll be an interesting night anyway because it's a very active group and we've been along there a couple of times recently, even though we live on the other side of town. Uh, there's no charge to go in and they have a nice supper. Uh, as I said, an 8 o'clock start, but get there about 10 too because there's always plants to look at that you can buy and seed you can buy and all sorts of things. Uniting Church Hall, corner of Roberts Road and Glenis Avenue Airport West, and that's for the meeting on Friday night. And if you want further information, ring Anne, nine double three six. Three double two eight. The other good thing about the group is they have a range of ages. Sometimes mm, yeah. some plant groups tend to be a bit on the mature side. <laughs> and uh, but this has got and their president is a live wire. He's a, a young man, marine and... biologist, and he's he's with it, <laughs> which is good. Yeah. Um. For those who are just starting out, I've got a few Australian plant notices here, but there's others as well. The Marunda Group of the Australian Plant Society is conducting a three-week introductory course on Australian native plants. Now, these are three Friday evenings, starting next Friday, April the 10th, and then the 17th and the 24th. It's being held at the Nunawading Horticultural Centre, 82 Jollymont Road in Forest Hill. Now, the the evenings will go from 7.30 to 9pm on each of those three Fridays, and it would cost you $50 for the three weeks. If you'd like further information on that, you can ring Joe. His phone number is 9812-0209, or you can ring Graham, 9893-4422. So particularly for those who want to grow Australian plants in their garden but don't know how to begin... Um, This is a good one for you to go along to. Now, uh, next Saturday, which will be before our next show here, there's um, the... Virginia's got more information about this one. The Gippsland Rare and Unusual Plant Fair at the Jindavik Public Hall. Now, that's in Jackson Street, Track, Jindavik, Virginia. Yes, I'm going. I go with Greg, who sometimes appears on this show, and he has a stall there. He's a wonderful man for rare bulbs. And it's a a lovely day. It's really worth going. Most of the people there have unusual plants, so it's a good place to go if you're looking for something a bit different. And, of course, it's very beautiful country around that part of Gippsland. So it's a a good day out, I'd have to say, for anybody who's, who's thinking of going down beautiful country and of rare plants which is one of the things that we tend to be losing now yeah well in the note that i got it says they're going to have specialist stall holders with bulbs perennials succulents hellebores tube stock liliums clematis clematis if you want it uh, and also the salvia study group will be there yes so. they're definitely there meg's going yep so, um, you know, lots to see. You can get further information by contacting David on 56285316. And is it so- there's also a very beautiful garden open at Broughton mm. Hall. Yeah, that was just where I was going next. Yes. That's in Palmer Road, Jindavik, and that's part of Australia's Open Garden Scheme. Now, that's on next Saturday and Sunday. Um, uh, where the the rare plant fair is just on on Saturday. 
you could spend the night down there somewhere and have a lovely weekend. Well, you? it is so beautiful down there. Mm. I because I spent what twenty five years out of Victoria. I'd sort of forgotten about Gippsland and then didn't go there for a while. And when I went down, I just thought, oh, my goodness, what a beautiful, beautiful area. Mm. And it doesn't suffer from lack of rain like poor old me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting. Some spots, Mm. you know, someone might ring in and say, hey, Hey. I'm in Gippsland and my dam's dry. Exactly. um, Yeah. Um, Right, that same weekend, I've got two more on that next weekend. is the 11th and 12th of April. I said there were lots on. For those in the Geelong area, the Australian Plant Society down there has got their autumn sale. Now, that's held at a property called Wirrawilla, at 40 Lovely Banks Road, Lovely Banks. Now, it's 9 till 5 on the Saturday and 9 till 1 on the Sunday. Rog, we went there to their sale, might be five, few, six years yeah, ago. Yeah, a few years ago, but it's a, quite, quite a large sale and people come from all around, not just from Geelong. People travel far and wide to get there. Yeah, and there's a big garden to walk around, mm. apart from just the, the plants that you can buy. And there's 10 or 12 specialist nurseries going to be there. Mm. Um, adults, only $2 to go in the, the gate. Uh, there's barbecues and refreshments and children's activities. Uh, you know, or I'm sure you can take your own picnic and sit down, but Lovely Banks is, what, Melbourne side of Geelong, isn't it, yep. Roach? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, I'm sure Mr Melways or Mr Google know all about it, but if you want further information, you can ring 5248-5911. And the same weekend, this is near the Botanic Gardens in Melbourne, or at the Botanic Gardens in Melbourne, at Domain House in um, Dallas Brooks Drive, there is an exhibition of Australian bonsai plants Now, that's 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. with an entry of $5. And on the Saturday, I think it is, there is the Victorian Native Bonsai... No, sorry, both days. Victorian Native Bonsai Club's Fourth Symposium. Now, this is being held at the Botanic Gardens, Melbourne. Oh, Virginia's got information too. Yeah, Um, it's $50 for one day or $80 for the weekend. Have you got more information? No, the other thing I wanted to mention, which is also that same weekend, a very busy weekend. Oh, just a tick. Before we finish then, I'll give the, oh, uh, the contact for the bonsai, for people who are busy writing down bonsai. Uh, there's a website where you can find out all the information about this. It's www.vicnativebonsai, B-O-N-S-A-I, .com.au and that Vic Native Bonsai is all one word, .com.au and you know you'll find out all the information about those bonsai activities which are Saturday the 11th and Sunday the 12th I tried to make bonsai a plural and put an S on the end but of course bonsai is the plural as well as the singular, same as sheep like sheep, I was just <laughs> going to say <laughs> there you go, ok so this busy weekend where else are we going? well the other thing that we've got Next weekend is a series of open gardens up around the edge of the Yarra Valley. We've got um, in Hereford Road, in Lilydale, in Mount Evelyn, and of course one of those gardens is Sue, who often rings in and often and who also comes on air at times. Her garden is Eleven Forge Road, Mount Evelyn. And it's a lovely garden. People would really enjoy that. She'll be doing sausage sizzles and have coffee and tea. And it's a very, it's a 
perfect mix of both natives and exotics. She herself is an, um, a native propagator for one of the big wholesale nurseries. So there's plenty of natives in her gardens and there's also plenty of salvias. It's a beautiful garden. There's a lot of colour there at the moment. So I would really suggest that people go. Both Pam and I will be heading up straight after the show. So we will be there if you come on the Sunday. And, of course, it's open both the Saturday and the Sunday. And there's three gardens in the area. So it's worth it. People think the open garden scheme has finished, but it doesn't finish till for another couple of months. And it's important for people to realise there's still some lovely gardens to come. So that's 11 Forge Road, Road, Mount Evelyn. And if you're looking in the book, I see that's listed. The title of the garden is Christie's Bouquet. Yes. There you go. So not Sue's Garden, but Christie's Bouquet. And that same weekend, we've got open gardens at Essendon, Lilydale and Park Orchards as well. Um, The open garden scheme is finishing soon, but it's certainly going out with a bang. Oh, so, you know, on the 11th and the 12th, you can go to Essendon, Lilydale Park, Orchards, Mount Evelyn. And if you want any further information on all of them, www.opengarden.org.au. And both Lilydale and Mount Evelyn are close together, so you could easily do the two. Oh, yes, yes, mm. yes, yeah. But you couldn't do Geelong and... Um, uh, Jindavik. <laughs> no. Are you doing Jindavik and Mount Evelyn? Absolutely. My goodness. <laughs> and the following weekend, of course, is Tesselars. So right. suddenly we have all these um, yes. wonderful places to go and buy plants. I was going to say, to because, see plants and buy plants. Because yes. it's good time to plant. Hmm. That's why they have these big shows with plant sales now, because it's such a good time to plant. Yeah. And, of course, the other thing is, too, um, spring is a season that has lots of flowers in it, um, particularly perhaps your plants that are dormant during winter. And sometimes if we go and look at gardens in spring or go to nurseries in spring, oh, that's lovely, I'll get one of them and I'll get one of them, and we find that our gardens are fantastic in spring but just a tad dull in some of the other seasons. So I always think if you look in the garden and think, oh, it's a bit, you know, so-so at the moment, go to your nursery, have a look, or go to one of the open gardens or a community garden or somewhere, have a look and see what's out at that time of year. And, you know, that gives you inspiration to lively up your garden. Absolutely. And and as Tim Entwistle, the director of the Botanic Gardens, says, a lot of our best displays are actually in at the end of winter and the beginning of spring which he wants to be a, an extra season yes. thinking that we really should have six seasons that's sprinter sprinter and i must admit my garden in august is absolutely fabulous mm. absolutely fabulous there's so much that's out because so many of our australian plants so many well hot country plants like the south african plants a lot of them flower at the end of winter mm-hmm. mm. I think it's time we stop prattling on here. We've There's still just got one, one more announcements. Is that I, for that same weekend, right? No, this is for today. Today? Well, you've so got we better, priority. Better not miss today. Um, the first Sunday of the month, so it's the Vilba, uh, sorry, Villa Alba. Mm, I did that talking. one, though. Did you do that? I did yeah. that. I wasn't listening. You weren't listening. Oh, I hope you folk at home are listening, seeing Roger in the studio. Wasn't. I thought Gwen's missed it. No, that was the first one I've we got, did. I've got another one, though. For today? No, for, on Friday, the beginning of ne- that busy weekend next weekend. My goodness. Up in Mount Macedon, there's a final open garden, which is very sad. It's 152 Waterfalls Road, Mount Macedon. 
and it's the Australian Emergency Management Institute, which has an old and beautiful garden and unfortunately is being closed down by our government in its uh, wisdom. A lot of expertise to be lost. So it's going to be open from 2 till 4.30 next Friday. There will be no cost and it's a beautiful garden and definitely worth visiting. Okay. Look, it is time we invited everyone to give us a ring. Vicky's waiting patiently to take your call on nine four one nine zero one double five to speak to the team we've got on there today. Or Anne is happy to take your call off air nine four one nine eight three double seven. So I'll give the on air one again. It's nine four one nine zero one double five. And we'd look forward to hearing your questions, also your comments about what you're enjoying in your garden at the moment, what you saw that inspired you at the um, International Flower and Garden Show or any other um, activities that your garden group is doing that you'd like to mention on air this morning, please give us a call. Okay, I've got another one I'll top in and then I've I've just about finished, I think. Um, There's a plant sale on the Mornington Peninsula on Sunday, April the 26th. So that's at um, Arthur's Seat, actually. It's at Sea Winds, Perves Road, Arthur's Seat. It's the Mornington Peninsula Australian Plant Group, and that's 9.30 to 4pm. If you want further information on that one, here we go. Mornpenapps at gmail.com. That's all one word. M-O-N for Mornington, P-E-N for Peninsula, and A-P-S for Australian Plant Society. And... That weekend, oh, sorry, the 18th and 19th, the one before, oh, yes, there's a number of open gardens at Hurstbridge, Langwarren, Emerald, and the one I thought that I should mention, see, some of these gardens, now that the open garden finish is finishing, might not be available again. And another one which people might like to not miss out on is the Mosaic Garden in Hawthorne. Now, this is the garden created by the late Margot Knox, uh, we've been there and, um, you know, it's been in the open garden scheme for years and years. But particularly, you know, as the title said, the Mosaic Garden. It's very centrally located in Hawthorne. If you want further information, have a look at the guidebook or again, www.opengarden.org.au. I've, got, I've also got one more. <laughs> There's a cider making workshop on April the 19th. So that's not next weekend, the weekend after. It's the weekend that the Tesla's big sale and is is on. And it's a cider-making workshop from the Heritage Fruit Trees people. It's at 297 Back Raglan Road in Beaufort. The website is lifestylefarming.com.au. It's $190 um, and you're very much encouraged to wear a Appropriate clothes, dress for the weather and farm conditions, leather shoe or shoes or boots. If it happens to be hot, please bring some water. But we will also mention this again next week because it's the week after that it's occurring. Hmm. Okay, some lovely apple trees up there too, and mm. um, that'll be great. Okay, those numbers again to speak on air this morning, 94190155, or Anne is on the off-air line, at nine four one nine eight three double seven. Now we said we've got some lovely plants in the gar- in the studio here this morning. Roger, would you like to pick three to start with? Three, my goodness. Well, um, last week 
Stephen was talking about lovely pleated grass. And I'm trying... Was it called pigeon grass? I'm trying to remember, which is very naughty. I should have checked up. But uh, anyway, I've brought in another pleated leaved plant. And it, this is from Queensland on the east coast. And it's called Molinaria. M-O-L-I-N-E-R-I-A. Capitulata. C-A-P-I-T-U-L-A-T-A. And it has this quite ornamental foliage. The um, the leaves are probably around about, you know, four inches or a bit more, ten centimetres wide. And they can get up to, say, half a metre or a bit taller. Forms a clump. And then it has this intriguing way of flowering. It has these bright yellow flowers in dense clusters right at ground level. And it's really an interesting foliage plant. It likes a bit of shade, uh, does better in shade, but it doesn't like a cold spot. It likes to be in a warmish spot to do well here. But it's a plant you can grow in a container. It, it mixes well with ferns, and uh, so, but it's just got this lovely pleated leaf to it. Sometimes the leaves might get a bit tatty on the ends. Well, the thing is just to prune them off right at ground level and then you'll get other new growth coming up. So if you're wanting something with a different texture... It's a very ornamental leaf, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's an, different, it's a, I guess, but yeah. it catches your eye and you say, what's that? And often, if you go down the, at the base of the plant, you know, sometimes the leaves might be over, and you mightn't even know the flowers are there, but they're very bright yellow. So and it must a, have an interesting little pollinator to have its flowers it's right probably, down there. It's probably some ground... Dwelling Ground beetle or something. Could be, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, Molinaria capitulata. Now, we did say you could have three, Roger, but we have a phone a phone coming in from Roz from the Killer Plains oh. Group, and she's been listening to our confusion about what their subject is on Friday night, no doubt. Good morning, Roz. Good morning, Gwen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, we do have an auction on Friday night. Right. A plant auction. Oh, well, Roger's right again. Gosh, we can't have this too often, can we? So He's always right. <laughs> I don't know about No, 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 no. <laughs> okay, and so are people bringing along, you know, there'll be things that you don't normally have at your meetings there, isn't uh, there? Uh, yes, there will be. There'll hmm. be, I'm sure there'll be some eremophilus. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I know I've put a tree fern in and um, a rare acacia from Western Australia. Right. Trigonophila. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, good. Yeah, good. I had great trouble identifying it, but we, we nailed it. Good. Good, good. Well, thank you for sort of filling us in there. And for those who weren't listening e- earlier, we were sort of discussing the topic of the Friday night meeting of the Kula Plains Group of the Australian Plant Society. And if you go along at 10 to 8, uh, the meeting will start at 8 o'clock. But there's all sorts of things to look at before you're asked to sit down and be quiet, isn't there? There certainly are. Yeah, it's at the uni- and that Livewire president has, is shortening all of that preamble. Yes. <laughs> yes, he's a very nice president to have he's and wonderful. keeps everybody on their toes and that's great. Yes. Okay, well, thanks for calling in. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing about the plants. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, folks, and that meeting is held at the Uniting Church Hall, corner of Roberts Road and Glenys Avenue Airport West. Uh, There's no charge to go along and you'll find a very keen group of of people meeting there. Uh, Sorry, Rog, you'll have to wait for your extra one. (laughs) We've got Frank of Craigieburn. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, all. G'day, Frank. 
Good, good, good day there. I, uh, I've never heard you for a while. No, no, we've been on holiday. <laughs> oh, you've got one big holiday. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, this uh, water situation. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's that dry here. I've, I've got to give the rabbits a quick lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. But uh, I was listening to the program yesterday on another station about garden queries. Yeah. And one lady said she'd, uh, a gum tree had died, so she went on the holidays, mm-hmm. and when she came back, the gum trees had died. Yes, I did hear that program, yes. Oh, yeah. And uh, he said, oh, she's going to worry, it'll grow again. Yeah. And we're having a dry moment at present. Mm-hmm. Then another lady rang up and said, uh, it's never rained here since last September. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the weather forecaster, the um, commenter says, Hey, you know we've never had no rain for uh, 50 days. Or 50. And he says, oh, that's nothing. Where one period was, was 80 days. Mm. Uh, what I'm trying to get at is no one seems to be concerned. They keep saying it's a lovely day mm. in the garden, and uh, I find it very difficult just keeping up with the water. When you, I reckon... Well, one of them suggested we should have water restrictions, or you know, like. Mm. Yeah, well, I think that's you know, I don't think we ever should have gone off the water restrictions that we had. Really, yeah. I saw someone hosing down a driveway yesterday. I was mm. so horrified. But, I mean, uh, 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 but uh, that gets to me beat when they keep saying, "Oh, another lovely day." Then they say, "Oh, a chance of rain." Mm. You know, like it was a curse. You know. Yeah. Mm. Then uh, you know, but I, I'd like to make a suggestion. I've. Uh, I find it hard to grow tree, uh, plant trees. They reckon it's the best time autumn. Mm-hmm. I can't say it because it's not a present. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, it's like concrete, the ground. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, true, true. And uh, you might just start water and die off. Mm-hmm. I, I've lost a few trees, but I'd like to mention a few trees in my area, that's North Melbourne, mm-hmm. that seem to survive on the dry weather. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Malukas, they uh, um, bottle brush. What's the what's the Latin name? Uh, uh, Castles. Callistamen. Callistamen. Yeah. They're a wonderful plant. Okay. Mm, that's the, good. And uh, the um, and and this year they flower in twice. The yeah. flower. Okay. The flower in the half of them are twice. Good. Good. So then you got the um, well the box thorn. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That'll grow anywhere. That's right. Yeah. Hawthorn. They might make good fences. Uh, yes. Then you've got the Gravalli. That's a wonderful plant for the dry weather. Mm-hmm. Once it gets established, mm-hmm. there's a few like that. You yep. might help me with a few more. Yeah. The, the good old gum tree. But uh, getting back to the water, I've never worn gum boots for 12 or 14 years now. Mm. They're, just, they're just sitting there gathering dust, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there is something going on, really. Oh yeah, I think well, when are we going to wake up? When are the commentators? Not us, but the commentators. It's a lovely day coming up, you know. And yeah, with the well, it could, it could be that we're moving slightly to what they call a true Mediterranean climate, like they have in Adelaide, where they won't yeah. have rain for a long, long time. I don't know what's happening, but you know, can you tell me what uses the most water? A deciduous tree or a coniferous? Oh, anything that's evergreen will use more water than a deciduous. But de- it, it really depends on the tree. Depends on the leaves, the type of leaves the tree has, yeah. and things like that. 
things with you know smaller leaves, finer leaves, but it won't use as much. For, um, oh, water. I forgot. I forgot to mention the good old she oak. Yes, I was oh, yeah, just thinking yeah, of the yeah. same that, thing, Frank. That uh, you got the the dripping she oak, get yeah. the sun in, and the oh. crepe myrtle's another one, Frank. That seems crepe to survive. Crepe myrtle, I remember that. Mm. Uh, mm. Japanese myrtle too, or something. A liquid amber. Anyhow, getting uh, you know like uh, that. Uh, you know, like the water situation seems to be pretty serious. Yeah. Well, often if you don't mention these things, people don't uh, don't think about them. So you you know, just need to spread the word that uh, things like uh, this are happening, and yeah, we're not not getting as much rain, and therefore maybe we do need to go on to water restrictions again. Just yeah. politicians, you know, change the water restrictions because it's good vote catcher. Another another good one for this climate is the salt bush. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's right. You've... But I, I've noticed the native grasses. I've got a, uh, every, all the ordinary imported grasses have died off okay. months ago. Yeah. But the native branches, the native uh, grasses are coming up in bunches. Yeah, good, good. Uh, but the, the rabbits don't seem to bother them. That that kind of grass. No, it, it may be a bit bit too harsh for them. But anyway, all right then. Okay, well, thank you. Thanks, thank you kindly. Good on you. Yeah. Bye. Now, Frank was talking about that eucalypt that was mentioned. It was on 774 yesterday morning, uh, and it was um, the eucalyptus casia, silver princess, that the mm. the listener had, and the main trunk was dying a bit. And um, uh, the advice given was, okay, if that continues to die, if you cut it near the, near the base, um, it will shoot from the lignotuber and everything, but... Uh, you know, it was important to point out that not all eucalypts have a lignotuber like that, mm-hmm. but the old um, uh, bit that people used to call the mallee root um, is a bit like a potato at the bottom of the, the eucalypt in that there's a lot of buds on it, you know, and it can shoot up mm. from the base. But, but, are, the, but are not some of the cases grafted? No. Oh, no. None of them. Shouldn't, shouldn't be, I don't no. think so. No, I don't think no. so. Maybe, but... Um, yeah, there may be, but usually they're grown from seed and they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll form a lignite tuber. If they, get, if they develop well enough, if they develop without too much fertilising, there's a much better chance that the plant is going to develop a lignite tuber. If they get too much feed, they don't have to, to worry too much about that. So if they grow them slowly, much better than growing them quick. Okay, the number again, 94190155 or off-air 94198377. I think one of the other things that um, has been sort of mentioned for many years and is worth repeating is to get the, the skeleton, the bones of your garden in good, reliable plants for your climate Um Okay, maybe climate's changing a little bit, but your good, reliable, hardy-type plants, uh, and then you can experiment with other things once you've got the bones of the garden in place. And the other thing is grouping together the plants which you know are going to need supplementary water when there isn't rain. Okay, maybe the rest of your garden you can say, okay, particularly in larger plantings, you're on your own, but I'm going to water... The plants that need water, or the plant, we do this with the plants that need shade. If they need shade, them shade, we put them in a spot where it's you know got protection from the sun. But we need to really um, do our homework and see whether the plant um, likes 
water and, you know, particularly people growing veggies and food plants, you know that you're going to have to give them extra water. And if you look at something like the Botanic Gardens in Melbourne, Mm. they've managed to cut their water usage by over 40%. Yes. Because they've actually been very sensible about how they've grown things together. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Even just carrying on with what you were saying, Gwen, about choosing plants, I can always remember there's um, a chap, Glenn Wilson, who was really one of the pioneer landscape designers, architects using Australian plants after the, well, from the 1950s onwards. And Glenn used to always talk about just choosing basic plants, and he would mention Melaleuca, Callistamon, She-Oak and Grevillea, depending on which Grevilleas. But he was suggesting, you know, if you wanted to start off, that can be your your base listing of plants, and then you add to those later. And even just hearing, you know, Frank talk about Callistamon, he's out Craigieburn way, um, and very dry, and they're flowering a second time, um, that's good, good value. So, yeah, sometimes we just, maybe we get a bit too carried away sometimes by growing, we want to grow a lot of these so-called exotic, you know, even rarer plants. But, uh, you know, if you're just starting off, it's good to have these basic uh, plants. And Glenn did a book called Landscaping with Australian Plants and it was published way a long time ago, but it'll be in libraries still. And uh, if you want to get hold of that, it's a, a really good book. Yeah, we were mentioning before with the Keeler Plains um, meeting that one of the plants that might be featured there is a group called Eremophila. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a prime example because um, Eremophila was um, initially thought that word meant um, desert loving, and but it really means um, a dweller of inhospitable places. Um, and, you know, we can kill eremophilas very readily in areas of Melbourne where we get rainfall more than eremophilas like. They are somewhat desert-loving plants. Uh, you can grow them wonderfully up in the Wimmera and the Mallee area and out in the Keelor side of Melbourne. You can grow them better than you can in the Dandenong Ranges. But there are groups of plants that do like um, dry conditions and won't tolerate... Um, excessive moisture so you know it's just a matter of you know finding out what you can grow successfully and then going for it and I've got lots of lovely things in my garden that are just dormant in that real heat of February yeah well that's that's right and a lot of Australian plants that's their dormancy period Mm. Um, if you start watering them Overwatering them, that can end up being the end of them. So they'll rot and, off. Yeah, because they, they're it's diff, totally different to the northern hemisphere, where the winter, the cold's the dormancy period. Here, it's our hot and dry period. And I've got some lovely South African bulbs that are coming up now. Mm. And so this is the thing about my garden: looking at times, parts of it look wonderful in winter because. Yep. And I don't have to worry about these things in February. I mean, February for me is the time when I'm least interested in my garden. Oh. Because it's just suffering. I mean, you should be able to plant a garden well so it has absolute summer cheer as well. Mm -hmm. And I do have a lot of things that look fantastic in summer, but not much that looks fantastic when it's 40 degrees. Oh, no, no. Luckily this year You're probably looking a bit bedraggled too. (laughs) (laughs) At 40 degrees, I'm very bedraggled. (laughs) Roger, one more plant instead of being rude there. (laughs) Um, Over the the years or probably last 15 years or so, People have been going mad on lily pillies, syzygiums. 
And a lot of them do get very large, and they're very good for screening and other things. And I just know where we're living now, there's a, a row of Syzygium astral, which is one of the um, lily pillies, and it's just got masses of fruit, and the fruit are just so tasty. They're really wonderful fruit to, to eat. Um, but there are some other, you know, there's one we brought in today called um, Syzygium smithii. This used to be called Acmena smithii but all the Acminas are now Sosigiums. And this is called Allen Magic. It's A-L-L-Y-N Magic, M-A-G-I-C. And it's a compact one. It'll get to about a metre, unclipped, and it's got this lovely new growth. What colour would you call that, Virginia? Coral. Coral. Hmm. There we go. Very good. And uh, so if you're just wanting something low, if you've just got a small area... Uh, it's a great plant, and it'll tolerate full sunshine, shade, and it doesn't mind a little bit of dryness, but it wouldn't like to be dry for extended periods, so you just have to watch it. It looks it, like a hedging plant. Yeah, it, excellent dwarf hedging. Mm. You know, you can keep it probably to 50 centimetres high, if you want to, half a metre, um, but you, you can let it grow longer. So, I was going to say, some of the Syzygiums are low. They've been bred um, for as low plants, you know, tiny Trev and a whole lot of others, whereas uh, others grow five metres or, oh, or bigger, more. Bigger, bigger. Bigger, bigger. Okay. So check out them. If you want to look it up um, with Mr Google's help or something, I was thinking this would be a wonderful word for Scrabble. I haven't played Scrabble Syzygium. for ages. Yeah. It's S-Y-Z-Y-G-I-U-M. Do you have two Ys in Scrabble? That's what I was just wondering. I think you, I think you do. do. I you? think you do. I think there's only a Q you only have one of, but yeah, there's not many yeah. only ones. <clears throat> but okay. if you had a Z and two Ys, Ys. you'd almost get the board over. You but would. Syzygium would be wonderful. S-Y-Z-Y-G-I-U-M. But I play Scrabble online and... I think it was devised by Americans, so they might not recognise it. That's no. always a problem. Yeah, it's um, Chambers Dictionary, isn't it, for Scrabble? I Which don't is an think. American Dictionary. Yes, the online. It's online. The, it weird things that they will not accept, and they accept oddly all sorts of Scottish words that I would say are not real words. So, who can say? Okay, you're not a Scot. They might accept Latin or something. <laughs> I think Roger's done a couple. Virginia. One of the ones that you brought in. Well, I brought one of the things I've brought in is Ampelopsis brevi pedunculata. Oh, Scrabble! Here we come, <laughs> and I'm sure that's not allowed. And the Ampelopsis is a vine. It's also called the porcelain vine. This one I got from a friend's place. I've got a variegated version. This one's not variegated. Mm. What's so lovely about it is it has, at this time of year, it has little berries. They start off green, then they go turquoise, then they go purple, then they go blue, and then they go to a lilac. So at any one time, you've got all these different colours sitting on the vine, and it's as pretty as a picture. It's in the grape family, right? Yes. Mm. And it actually, before it goes into berry, it does look a bit like a grape, and it's fairly vigorous, although not as vigorous as some... Well, who knows? I've got it growing, and I find it a little bit difficult to grow. It's taken a good few years to really take off. But yesterday I thought, oh, I'd better have a look at this, so I had a look at Dr Google. And the American sites, some of them hate it and find it very, very weedy. Okay. So I would wonder whether it might be weedy in the Dandenongs. It's certainly not weedy in my bit of the Yarra Valley, but 
the parts it was New England and places like that. Now they are mm. well wet compared a to us. Yes, too, isn't yes, it? Yeah. yes, and it obviously take it actually comes from from Asia, and it'll take a good cool winter. It's it's it um you know you you doesn't mind a bit of the frost. It's not self clinging, does it? No, no, no it yeah. it it needs something to climb on. But once it goes, it'll it'll you know it'll get up a tree or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lovely thing. But I do wonder if you live in – I can't think of anywhere in Victoria that I'd class as very damp, but if you live in a very damp area, it might – because anything with berries you have to be considerate oh, of. Oh, that's right. Because sure. the birds might – Yep, they'll carry them. Take yep. it off. Mm. Hmm. Okay, that number again. I think people must be out looking for Easter eggs or else they haven't adjusted their clocks. I've just looked at the clock in the studio and it says it's 9.15. Oh, let's go and, home. And I'm thinking, <laughs> should we be signing off and saying <laughs> – no, our watchers say eight fifteen, so we'll be here for we'll be here for another hour, won't we? So you've got plenty of time to give us a ring um, with your gardening queries or comments, like Frank did, suggestions for things that will tolerate the dryness. Nine four one nine zero one double five, or Anne is waiting on the off-air line. She's got some lines through too. Nine four one nine eight three seven for off-air. Roger. Virginia's, Virginia's pointing, pointing at something. Pointing to one plant. It's a pine tree. <laughs> it, it is a pine tree. It looks like a pine tree. I think it's beautiful. We've got a plant here, and it's it's in the Protea family, and it's one of the Persunias. Now, some people might be growing Persunias, and they, the most common one in cultivation is Persunia pinifolia, which grows up to three, four metres, sometimes five metres tall. Um, this is a, a prostrate one. Uh, it has slightly upturned stems as it, it spreads, but it can spread probably two metres across, sometimes a bit further, and it's lovely fine foliage. Uh, new growth is is there's a tinge of uh, reddish or bronzish colour to the, to the new growth. And the flowers, this selection here has orange flowers, and it's from New South Wales. It grows in the sandstone area north of Sydney, and it's called... Persunia, Here we another go. big long yes. name again, but Persunia is P-E-R-S-O-O-N-I-A, Shamapitis, C-H-A-M-A-E-P-I-T-Y-S. And uh, so one of the things with some Persunias, the flowers have are very rich in nectar, and they can have quite a strong perfume. This is one of them. So you don't put it near your front door or your bedroom window or things like that. Put it a bit further away. Because it's not not, not a nice smell. No, some people would like it. You know, that's the same with any smells. You know, it's it's mm. always amazing to hear people talk about a plant that has a perfume, and some say, "Oh, I love that." Mm. And other people, "Oh no," you know. But um, anyway, Persunia shamapitis. It's a little bit hard to find usually. You might have to go to a specialist nursery. Well, we mentioned this. all those Australian plant sales yep. coming up, and you'd certainly be yeah. likely to find it at those because it's a very popular plant. And well, this, this plant came from the the uh, growing friends of uh, Royal Botanic Gardens Cranbourne sale the other week, so they they have them down there. But their next sale is not till what's it? Name? Maybe October. I was thinking August. August. Yeah. Okay. I know that they have them at Karanga. Yeah. Because okay. I bought some in the Karanga sale. I I got some from Sue's nursery 
oh, a goodly while ago now, the big one, uh-huh. and have planted them. And they're coming up. I had to, in fact, protect one of them recently because the rabbits had started. Oh, yeah. Ra- rabbits can really love them while they're young. So, mm. yeah, they, they the like G-bung. that sort of hole. G-bung. G-bung. There's, G-bung. there's yep. a pub in Hawthorne that's, that's called right. the G-bung. The G-bung Club. G-bung Polo Club. Yeah, yes. And, and I think even maybe Mr Lawson wrote a poem. But I think I think that the foliage. There's a bed in the botanic gardens that used to be um, old, old azaleas. They were, oh, it was sh- as tall as my shoulder, and they'd been there for a hundred years. And they all came out, and one they've put a couple of lovely things: a ground covering coria, which is very beautiful, hmm. and a jibung, a ground covering persunia. And the two together just look beautiful in okay. that bed. Good. Although I've put one in on my little my frog pond, and I put it in a while ago, and it must have grown at least half an inch in two years. Yeah, sometimes they can be a little bit slow to get established, but slow. once they get a hold, well, let's they hope. Can. Yeah, well, mm. we we hope for you too, Virginia. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, we're going to go to Glen Iris now, and I think we might have a eucalyptus query. Good morning, Debbie. Oh, good morning, and happy Easter to all of you. Thank you. Um. I've got a question. I have a relatively young garden. It's about two to three years old. Uh-huh. And I planted a eucalyptus multicaulis, the yeah. whipstick yep. gum, yep. with the intention of coppicing it. Yes. And once it got up to about roof height, which was quick, yeah. I cut it off at ground level and now I've got umpteen shoots coming up. At, at what stage do you... Pick and choose which ones you want, and get rid of the rest. Like how... you, can, you can even start now if you wanted to. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. So to get that fan shape, I want it to cover a garage wall. Okay. Yeah. So I can do it now. Yeah. Look. Yeah. Depending. You know. Have you got an idea of how many stems you want to have? Uh, yes. Yeah, I want about five. Okay. Probably. Well, all right. Even if you, how many stems you've got there now? Twenty or something? Oh, at least. Okay. Yeah. Well, it look. It looks like a bush. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Look, I'd take half of them off now. Okay. And then, uh, then you can start choosing the ones you know in the direction you want them to go. The after other that. one. I've also got eucalyptus periniana, the spinning. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Are they the ones, can you coppice them or yeah, not? you can. You can because uh, what happens with the spinning top gum, they're just the juvenile leaves and with age yeah. you'll lose all those if you don't coppice. Well, so. already, you mean they'll be replaced by a, a less attractive, or, oh, uh, you know. It'll be, those spinning top leaves are just the juvenile, they'll gradually drop off and you'll have typical gum leaves. Mm. With nice narrow gum leaves and slightly pendulous foliage. But if you're wanting to retain the spinning top leaves, to have them on your plant all the time, you would need to remove some of the... uh, or do some coppicing so you get new growth coming from the base. So they they have actually gone bananas. I don't know how tall they are. I think they're already up to about eight metres. Okay, okay. So can I coppice them? Yeah, so have you got more than one trunk on the on the spinning top gum? One, and it's quite thick. It's thicker than your leg. It's huge. Yeah, okay. Or is it too late to coppice? 
No, look, I, I think it would be all right, but when when I give such advice, there's always a proviso that it may not work. But um, the other thing to do is to prune back the branches that you've got and uh, and see if you get some juvenile growth come out of those. Because already the top half of them, yeah. at least four metres of them, would have the adult leaves on them. Okay, okay. Well, look, you, you could cut back. You could you can prune them back quite hard and they should respond okay. All right. So when Thank should you, you start with that, Roger? If you're planting a, a tree tomorrow that you want to keep that juvenile round leaf on, would you do it every two years, every three yeah, years? Yeah, probably about that, Virginia, yeah. And, just, and then if you get multiple trunks, even if it means just thinning out, taking maybe one or two out each year, then go next year take another couple of the older ones out. And they, they have some of them in the, in the Melbourne Botanic Gardens. They actually treat it as a bush. Yeah, that's And they're the, looking for the... That's right. The one called uh, Polvularenta, you yes. could just Polvularenta, yep. uh, that retains those leaves all its life pretty well. But, um, yeah, you can, do, you can do that. Yeah. So is that helpful? It is. Thank you very much. I'll go out and get the saw. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you. Fine, Debbie. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, we're now going to Frankston, um, and I think we have a query from Elizabeth there. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning. Oh, I'm hoping you're all well. I, ha- I have a well, a, a bright story to tell. That was good. the request earlier. That's good. Um, unfortunately, my mother died, and I inherited her orchids. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And by the time I got them, they were sick and sorry a lot, and I thought, mm, maybe I have to you know, let them go to God as well. But I persevered with them. I repotted them and, you know, uh, took out the damaged roots and that. And with rainwater and um, uh, expert advice with a bit of lime and everything, they're all, they've all come back. Good. Lovely. And, and I think, well, it's, it's, it's like a resurrection of the orchids that mm. she, lo- she loves so much. Yeah. And yeah. Um, they've come back. But what, what my advice is, even the toughest of plants now... People think um, orchids are temperamental, and they can be. Mm. But with a bit of TLC, and especially with water, even even if it's a little bit and the right type, like I've been using rainwater on them, uh-huh. uh, they will come back. No, I think that's right. I know we, we moved oh, a couple of years ago, and I happened to go down to where there's a bit of a storage of plants, and I found an old cymbidium, which my auntie had given me, and it looked pretty dreadful. But we took it with us, and it has flowered and it's got a new lease of life. And so it just shows you. A lot of, you know, some of those, um, the orchids, the epiphytic type orchids that don't, you know, grow in the in soil, uh, they, they will put up with amazing conditions sometimes and still survive. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I have um, saved some of the back bowls, so I'll try with a little bit more effort to see what I can get to do with those. Yeah. But in appreciation for some of the things I have done for my mother... A sister gave me another type of orchid. Now, I know the Sambinians because mm-hmm. they're the ones I've been uh, uh, had such a good result with. Um, but this is like a bulb on the end and it has long, um, almost stretched oval-shaped leaves. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And I really haven't been able to catch up on what type of um, uh, orchid it is because my sister was saying it was quite a rare one. 
She didn't have a name on it. She for didn't you. have a name on it. Now we do have an orchid club down here, and yeah. I might um, have to approach them see if they can recognise us. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I'm laughing a little bit here. Uh, it may not as be as rare as she yeah. thinks yeah. it is, yeah, no, but that's... then by the same token, I will still be able to identify it and see what treatment it requires. Yeah, yes. that'd be good. That'd be a good thing to do to oh. go along to your local orchid club, yeah. and because uh, three people in this studio are pulling faces slightly. Oh no, yeah. I'm saying you know. People can sometimes recognise them from well, the leaves. Well, right. uh, it, and if it flowers, well, that's a lot yeah. easier. But well, it, it hasn't from the flowered leaves. in the time I've had it. Mm. But I, I thought I was hopeful because there was a new shoot coming from underneath the bulb. Mm. And I thought, oh, it's going to flower. But no, it's turned into a, a, a um, yeah. well, another, um, I'll say, leaf situation. Yeah. Yeah. And that's good because it's growing and doing something. That's right. But then I thought, well, if it needs any extra attention or specialised anything... Well, I should be aware of that, and, well, I might get my little brag book and, hey, look what I've got. <laughs> yes. Let know. us know. Your, your local orchid group, I'm sure, would welcome you coming down and bringing something that they can chat about. Yep. Okay, well, like I said, it was about dry, about yeah. the good news, and like I Lovely. said, the resurrection of these orchids, and like I was trying to convey to the, um, I'll convey to the um, audience that maybe we throw things out and get rid of them too readily. Yep. Good on you. Good. Okay. okay Congratulations. Right, we have another Elizabeth. This time, Elizabeth in Preston. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good to everyone. Um, look, I'm just wishing to inquire about um, viruses in gum trees. Uh-huh. Um, uh, how virulent can they be? Well, it depends what they are. Sometimes. Have you got a gum tree which is looking a bit sad? Well, one at the local school, and they have had an arborist in and they've taken it out. Yeah. Um, and they've used the wood chips around the beds, which worried me a little bit um, because I thought, well, um, you know, but they they assured me that uh, the, I saw an arborist and they assured me that they'd be okay. But yeah, that should be okay. Yeah. 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 Yep. So how do viruses spread then in, in um, gum trees then, please? Uh, insects uh-huh. are often the main vectors of different viruses. Right. Um, so, you know, th- things like whitefly and that, you know, they transfer viruses from tomato to tomato and other things. Little insects like that can be a problem. Aphids and things. So it's right. there's many, many viruses around and a lot of times plants cope quite well with them. But it's just sometimes, um, you know, especially with vegetables and things like that and even some flowering plants, um, because they're growing vigorously, there's a lot of foliage on them and uh, and, and the viruses can cause problems. Well, this was a, a huge big gum tree yeah. and it died within... It looked absolutely perfect and it died within four weeks. Okay. Did so, the arborist say it was a virus or...? Well, that's what he, he told the headmaster. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, and um, and that's why I was a little worried about the the wood chips really um, being spread around. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't know how they spread. Yeah. If it's, if, is it the same sort of vector for gum tree as well? Uh, well, uh, they're usually insects, but um, there there are probably other ways too. But it's usually transferred by some little animal, right. minute animal from one plant to another. Right. Yeah, I imagine if he has said it's okay to use the the chips, that um, he he didn't see that as a major concern. So, yeah, yeah, um, you know, yeah. hopefully it, it won't so be. It's sad to see this 
what looked to be yeah. a completely healthy tree go within four weeks. I, yes. Because mm. so that is very quick, isn't it? Oh, mm. yeah. It happened mm. over Christmas. One, you know, walking my dog down there one day and looking at a nice tree and the next time, another time, not too far. And the thing, I think, what the heck is going on there, you know? Mm. And um, it died. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. Okay. Well, look, thank you very much for that and thank you for your time today. Thanks. Our pleasure. Bye-bye. Okay, now we are going to speak to Rosie, who's, I think, in the Dalesford area. Good morning. Hi. Um, I'm looking for um, a, a screening tree for a hedge um, about, about two to three metres high that's fire retardant um, and evergreen and will sort of grow in the Dalesford clay soil. Mm-hmm. wondered if you have any ideas. Yeah. I'm just scratching my head. Oh, I'm Oak. not scratching too too hard because I think some of the acacias... Uh, as long as they're not the ferny leafed ones, are regarded as um, being somewhat fire retardant. They haven't uh, avoid all the things in the myrtle family, the the eucalypts, the tea trees, the callistamins, because they've all got quite a lot of oil in them, so you can avoid them. And pines, you can also buy pine oil. Remember, yeah. Mm. But yeah. who ever heard of oak oil? Yeah, no other right. And oaks <coughs> are fantastic in fires. Yeah. Mm. And um, little dwarf oaks that are going to get, what, yeah, to two, two, to metres, three metres. two to three metres? Now, come on, Virginia, think hard. Well, <laughs> there is one in the oak lawn. It's a turkey oak, and it's not very high. Yeah. But, yes, you're quite right. Most of them are growing. huge. <laughs> I, I imagine you're going to need something that's fairly quick-growing, Rosie. Yes, yeah. quick-growing would be great. And also For Ah, okay. Oh, yes, well, that, I was going to say, if there was anything edible, that would be great. But um, You're wanting ever, evergreen too? Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. sorry. Okay. No, crab apples out. Um, so, is it got? A, is it a sunny position or a shady? Yes, it's north facing, very sunny. Okay. There are a lot of salt bushes that don't quite get to that high. Even some of the Westringias, I think, Roger, yeah, are a yeah. little bit um, fire retardant. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the uh, salt bushes, which is what Atroplex, there are some that get close to a couple of metres tall. And they're very fire retardant. Um, uh, you know, mm. you can use a stronger word than retardant even for some of the salt bushes oh, because yeah, they, they, won't they just won't burn. Oh, great. Um, okay. They've got grey foliage usually. Yeah. And they but, look lovely. Yeah, but if you can incorporate some of those because one of the um, aspects in regard to fire is, you know, cat- capturing embers and... Um, and Stopping sometimes them. they mm. whirl around at ground level, so it's quite important to have something down low that mm. well, the embers will be trapped in and can't blow onto the grass next door or your grass from next door or whatever it might be. So um, I think even there may be a list of... There's certainly a books on fire retardant plants. And yeah, I there think was a book put out by CFA... Probably two years ago, might be nearly three years ago, and that has listing of, of hedging plants and things in there, which okay. could be could be it'll be in your library. Okay, uh, great. It's not really available now, but uh, and I was just even thinking of other uh, Escalonias, Euonymus. Um, I was thinking of Escalonia, Euonymus. I was thinking maybe a persimmon. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I grow persimmon, and I'm cold. But I'm not as cold as Dalesford. That, that loses its beautiful. leaves? Mine doesn't. Doesn't lose its <laughs> leaves, OK. Um, I wondered also whether the, a strawberry guava would, would um, grow there. That's not quite high enough, but it, um, 
we'd be very bushy and great if it did, but I don't know if it grows in that climate, though. No, you probably need to see if there's any growing around your way. It, yeah. it, it may not. I think it might have a bit, bit of trouble with frost, but... Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think the local shire could even have some information. Often yeah. they have an environmental officer and, uh, and you'd oh, find yeah. both things that are, are fire retardant and also suitable for your area. Um, Mr Google might help, but then you won't get local information and there's nothing quite as good as local information if you can get it. But Smoke I'd be, bushes? Mm, I'd mm, be asking the, the local shire for any suggestions. And the, sm- and the smoke bush is another one that you can um, coppice to the height you want. I mean, I've got a mixture of smoke bushes. I've got one was a tree which is probably 20 foot high, but then I've got another three or four which I coppice regularly so they never get higher than about 10 feet. Oh, great. So, so if I looked up smoke bush... It, its proper name is cottonus. Okay. C-O-T-I-N-U-S. Oh, great. Okay. And you can get them in various shades, like you can get purple-leafed ones, which is lovely. Oh, and what about the Judas tree? Oh, no, that loses its leaf. Loses leaves, mm. yeah. Anyway, oh, there's a few for you, and hopefully maybe someone else will ring in and say, you know, how about this? That's wonderful. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks for your thanks. call. Bye. Okay. That number again, folk, Anne is on the outside line on 94198377 and Vicky is waiting to take your calls and refer you through to the panel here. The number to ring to chat to us in the studio, 94190155. Actually, there's just on the screen, I know there's a thing been up there from Ruth for a while. It's regarding a Glochidion Ferdinandi. Now, this is a native tree. It's called the cheese tree, and uh, it has little fruits which look like miniature cheeses. And uh, she's just asking, uh, you know, when she can cut it back and how much, I think, there. Um, it, it, it's a plant that can be pruned. It is a medium-sized tree if you don't prune it. I don't know what height she wants to keep it to, but uh, the time to do that... I'd suggest would probably be, um, well, you could do a little bit now. I wouldn't do too much now. And then maybe just after the frosts have, uh, have gone in springtime for that. But you can prune them fairly well. Uh, another thing she's after is Fias Astral. Um, one of the orchids went to repot. I would suggest probably August, September, but I... I haven't grown that plant, but um, there, there is a lot of information, you know, on, on the web about it's a beautiful orchid, very tall growing orchid, lots of flowers. And then Tripladenia cunninghami is a ground cover plant and uh, it has usually very pale mauve to mauve uh, starry flowers and um, to repot. Uh, that if you've got it or divide once again I, I'd tend to do that probably August September as far as redividing but Tripladenia Cunninghamai is beautiful they've got lots of plants in the botanic gardens in Melbourne around you see them on edges in various places and uh, they flower for a long time and uh, dark green foliage in the lily family or broad lily family and that dark green foliage is so lovely on a hot day mm, yeah mm. So hopefully, Ruth, we've helped you there. I've got a question. I've got 
two gardens in Kew which have been losing trees at a fairly rapid rate and they've had a tree surgeon in who said that it's armillaria. What can be planted in the pla- in place? Got to get rid of the armillaria, yeah, don't you? You can't get rid of armillaria. You can't get rid of it, can no, you? No, no, I don't think so. And um, Are there trees that are resistant? I don't know whether there are many trees resistant to armillaria. Um, Armillaria, folks, is a root fungus, and, and um, you get sort of orange mushrooms. Little honey fungus, little mm. bundles, and then they get bigger and bigger, actually, and then they go very furry as they disintegrate. Um, look, we should do a bit of work on that and just try and find out. But I, Armillaria's got really wide, <laughs> wide-ranging hosts. That it likes to get onto. Right. Well, this is a mixture of both native and yeah, exotic yeah, trees, and yeah. one of the exotics is well over 100 years old. Yeah. So yeah. it's a bit tragic. Mm. No, look, there, there probably are. I, I just can't think of any at the moment, but we should. Okay, I'll write a little note. We'll put it down as a, a research project. Mm. The, there's no sort of situation that hasn't got a solution. I mean, at the very worst, you can get big tubs and, you know, grow the plants you want to in, in large containers and you can get large containers yep. now and, uh, you know, do it that way. But um, You can restrict it spread a bit by making sure that plants that have died, you just don't cut off them at ground level and leave those roots in. But if you remove all the roots and then trace back any of the, the roots below and try and get rid of them. Well, the 100-year-old one's going to be right under the house. Is it? Yeah, well, it's, it's pro- problematic, isn't it? Mm, very problematic. I would also be considering the use of something like Yates anti-rot, yeah, which is... Don't, it doesn't work. Well, just, no, no, no. We, well, my, a disagreement here in the studio. My, my <laughs> weak advice was I think you might need to move to... Because one of them is very much a screening. The, the trees are screening. And um, I've suggested she might need to move to Bamboo. I thought you were going to say move to Bendigo or something. <laughs> no, yeah. I don't think she wants to leave Q. Yeah. No, okay. Like, I think some of the Sizygiums and stuff like that may be resistant. Anyway, look, okay, we'll try well, and find out. Fantastic. Mm. Yeah. The numbers again, folk, are Anne on the off-air line, 94198377, or to join us in the studio, 94190155. We have had a message come in on air asking if we could please repeat the information about the bonsai weekend. It is next Saturday, April the 11th, and Sunday, April the 12th. There is an exhibition of Australian bonsai plants at Domain House, Dallas Brooks Drive, which is just sort of opposite the Botanic Gardens virtually, um, 10am to 4pm, $5 entry, uh, and... At the same weekend at the Botanic Gardens itself, the Victorian Native Bonsai Club is holding their two-day symposium, $50 a day or $80 for the weekend. And further information on both of those activities, www.vicnativebonsai.com.au. Or I imagine if you haven't got access to that website, they probably have got information at the Melbourne Botanic Gardens if you want to give them a ring there. But that wasn't on the, the brochure that I had. I just gave the website for further information. Undoubtedly, you have to book for the symposium, but uh, it's probably just roll up for the exhibition at Domain House uh, with the entry of $5. 
Okay, 94190155 to join us with our chats. With the amalaria, is that an introduced or a native, no, native problem? I thought native, it was native. native. Mm. There's quite a few different amalarias. Mm. Yeah, so the one but, we've got is called, I think it's called Bulbia, Bulbia, Bulbalina. Anyway, Bulb something. I, I shouldn't have said that. No. <laughs> <laughs> you dug a hole and yeah, jumped yeah. into it, Roger. But we C- have... Ceanothus are great in the Dalesford area? Well, Ceanothus, I think, are absolutely wonderful. They um, are so drought hardy. Mm, mm, and mm. I love blue flowers. If you don't like blue flowers, they're not as good. But I love a blue flower. So I think that's a very good piece of advice, Ceanothus. And you can get it in everything from ground cover mm, to quite mm. tall. Mm-hmm. And they're one of those things that we need to be protecting because they'll never, ever, ever be imported to Australia again. They're from California mm-hmm. and apparently they're carriers for the sudden oak death. Mm-hmm. So yep. the chances of if we lose Ceanothus because we, they're not in fashion and they just sort of disappear, they'll be lost to Australia forever. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. We The one that is grown most in, I think, or very widely grown in Australia is one called Blue Pacific. We have a friend in California who was writing a book a number of years ago on Ceanothus, had no knowledge of Blue Pacific. Pacific you know, right. we had it here in Australia. but um, And Yankee we... Point is another one you see around a lot. Oh, you know Yankee Point very well. <laughs> what, the place or the plant? The place and the, the, place. And the plants, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yankee Point disappeared. It slipped off in, into the ocean. Oh, really? Yeah. But and didn't some, take the sea and earth as well. They had some beautiful zaushnaries and other, other things there too. But oh, that's another one for Scrabble. We'll move on, I think. <laughs> We've got a few callers waiting, so your plants can wait for a minute, Rog. We're first going to go to Glenroy and say good morning to Mary. Hello, Mary. Yes, good morning. Happy Easter. Thank you for doing this on Easter Sunday. Thank you. Um, um, I actually had two subjects to ask about. Um, I am very successful with my worm farm, but I do know that the castings are too alkaline, and actually it's the same with my compost, even though I use all, simply use all the right ingredients. So that's one on the worm farm. Worm juice, I've heard that it kind of loses its potency um, if you don't use it very uh, soon after collection. And also I have some tiny fly things inside the the worm farm, even though it seems to be completely sealed. And then if I may, I'll ask about repotting orchids. My worm farm has got those little flies. I just ignore them. Ah, okay. I don't think the worm juice runs out of power myself. Ah, and with your compost, if it is alkaline, which surprises me because compost usually is not alkaline. Yeah. But if it is alkaline, um, you'll find quite often a garage, a petrol cellar, that will have will also be selling bags of um, manure, sheep manure, cow manure. I, I do use manure. It's often pony manure. Yeah, well, that would be fine. The trouble with yeah. pony manure, it sometimes has seeds in it, but that's fine. The yeah. only manure that is alkaline is your chook poo. So don't ah. use chook poo. That's alkaline. Yeah, okay, chook poo. But I'm surprised that your manure is alkaline. I would expect it to be much more acid. Well, I'm kind of overcoming the problem once I'm using it on site by... Um, using some vinegar to um, 
just acid, acidify it a bit, but obviously using a testing kit as well. To, to I would just it. go and for, you know, usually you can get three bags for $15 or something like that, and I would just buy some sheep poo or some cow poo sheep. and just throw it in. Yep, I've already got the, the cow the Or the, po- yes, pony, sorry. Yep. The pony, that'll be fine. And I kind of need to repot some orchids at the moment. Is that risky? I wouldn't have thought so. Okay. Just make sure you're using a good orchid mix. Yes. You don't well, want to put orchids into something that's heavy. No. I would make my own, and I know that you've got to have it coarse. Very coarse. Chunky. Mm. And not too much um, wood, because there may be tanning uh, in it, and but some compost and um, other uh, loose things. Now, it sounds you've got your finger right on the pulse of that there, Mary. Oh, right. And I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you for your call. Okay. Bye. Okay. Have a wonderful rest of the weekend, ladies. Thank you very much. Yeah, bye. <laughs> yeah, bye-bye. Okay. We have um, Peter on the line from Greensboro, who I think may have a grevillea. Isn't it lovely? We've got a little computer screen here that Vicky puts through to us, and we know who's going to come and just vaguely what he's going to talk about. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. How are you all? Well, thank you. Excellent. Um, do you are grevillea. Mm. Yep. Flowers all the year, magnificent um, little bush. The latest one I've brought, I mean, it's growing, but it's got yellow tips, um, mm-hmm. and they just look like part of the leaf. You know what I mean? Yep. It's not as yep. if they've just yellowed off. Okay. Um, am I not feeding? Oh, in fact, I don't feed, so... Uh, yeah, well, that, no, fine. Look, by, by having yellow tips, there's probably... I'd, I'd give it a bit of iron. Okay. Uh, just, you know, iron... Uh, iron shelates? Iron shelates preferable to iron sulphate. Right. And if you can get the green iron shelates, okay. is probably the better. There is a, a brownish, blackish one, and that's a bit stronger. But um, that could be worth doing. And even sometimes just to put a little bit of Epsom salt. Ah, yes, I was going to say that. Um, and that, a combination of both. So even with your uh, iron chelates, it's probably about three teaspoons to a bucket or watering can. And just put in even half a teaspoon or to one teaspoon full of Epsom salts. At the same time. At the same, same time. Same mix. Yeah. Yeah, so ma- just make sure the ground is moist before you uh, do that. You you could pour it over the foliage at that dilution. Okay. And often the foliage can absorb that in quite quickly. So in in today's, well, I've been listening and you've been talking about water. Yeah. <clears throat> I water via tanks and I've managed to keep the garden going. Yes. Um, does it take much um, water, uh, a grevillea? Is it something no, you no. should try and once a fortnight or...? While it's while it's young and getting established, yeah, stick your finger down. Yep. And uh, if it's moist, you don't need to water. But if it starts to dry when you stick your finger down, yeah, give it a water. But uh, once they get established, um, it's probably best not to water them. The one you've got there anyway, that, that'll tolerate uh, good extended periods of dryness. Oh, yeah, I've got one My grevilleas haven't been watered for a month. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I've got one under the kitchen window that just I can't keep it in, under control. Um, <laughs> if I might too, I bought one of those um, flowering gums, but they're not called flowering gum. Do you know what I'm... Oh, the... Ch- ch- Carimbia? Uh, yeah, Carimbia or something yes, like that. Yes, that's right, yep. I think I read that 
during this time of the year, it's best if you don't water them overly. Is that correct? Yeah, best best not to. Don't don't water them too much. Unless no. you're in sandy soils, no. you know, where yeah. it all runs away. No, no, mm. no, 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 no. Okay, thank you very much. All right. Okay. Good Bye-bye. on you. All right. Good luck. And for those listening, you know, we have got grevilleas from all over Australia and so some will tolerate much drier. In fact, fact, some need very dry conditions. You can find them growing out near Ayers Rock. But the Dewar one is from, I think, Roger, the Dewar National Park? Yeah, southeastern New South Wales. Yeah, hmm. sort of Jarvis Bay. Oh, yeah, but, yeah around, around that area. Yep. Sort of area. And it's but it's what, in rocky sites. D-E-U-A, I think, isn't it? Or yes. Something like yeah, that. Yeah. Yes. And so it does depend on where the plants come from as to what their tolerance is. And there are other grevilleas from Queensland who like quite an amount of, of moisture, but um, that one's sort of, you know, rocky, New South Wales, sa- sandstony sort of area. And, and I think Peter was saying he had one which he couldn't keep under control, maybe. He certainly um, has they a will, under his window. That's they do respond quite well to pruning. Mm, and, definitely. Uh, and it's a red-flowered one usually. Mm, there is a white form, but a red-flowered one, and as he said, flowers most of the year, so you get very good value. But as far as pruning of those sort of things, it's good if they're growing vigorously. You know, if the plant is not growing vigorously, don't prune too hard. But you, if the plant's got a good go on, well, you can give it a prune. Yeah. Okay, we've got a full board here almost, but Anne has got some lines available on the off-air line, 94198377. Right now we're going to another Anne the, um, online from Oak Park. Good morning, Anne. Oh, good morning, panel. Um, I saw in the shop some very nice bulbs. They were jonquils growing in <coughs> white uh, china pots. But when I lifted the pots up, there was no drainage. And I was wondering if I wanted to copy that and buy some bulbs and put them into nice, pretty china containers, would they have to have holes in the bottom? They absolutely mm-hmm. would. They'll rot if there's no drainage. And what about, I've got two very large stoneware pots, but they've once again no holes in the bottom. What can I do? What you could do is put an ugly old black pot inside the pot. Right. So and, and sit it on something so it's up above so that it does drain. You'll have to occasionally be aware of how much water is in there. But that's one way of making the ugly black pot look decent is put it into something that's attractive. Right. But just be aware that the water's going to collect in the bottom and every now and again you might need to take the ugly black pot out and then tip out the water. Right. But every pan has to have drainage, whether it's a bulb or otherwise. Well, bulbs, I can't think offhand of any bulbs that don't need drainage. But there are other plants that will sit, will, would like to sit in damp, but bulbs are not amongst them. Right. Some bog iris or something. Yes, exactly. The Japanese iris yeah. that that will sit in a and even I mean things that like damp soil. Lemongrass likes to have its soil mm. fairly damp, and if you grow Vietnamese mint, you can grow it in wet soil, really wet soil. Or carnivorous plants such as sarracenia, but it's not a bulb. But, but you the, can get water plants that. If you just want to use a container with without holes, mm. and we've certainly got some of the um, carnivorous sarracenias looking stunning at the moment in pots that are filled with water. Mm. Uh, the other thing is, uh, my sister likes the 
burnt orange chrysanthemums specifically. Where could I get hold of some so that I can grow some? Do you know? Not off the top of my head. Chrysanthemum um, Society may be <laughs> a way to go. Yeah, or, um, you know, you just try your local nursery or, you know, see how you go from there. All oh, right, I can do that. Okay, mm. well, have a lovely week, Pamela, thank you. Okay, okay. thanks Bye. for your call. Okay, uh, we have got a couple of free lines now, so 94190155. And while you're ringing in there, we're going to speak to Ali. Of, um, where's Ali from? Armadale. Good morning, Ali. Good morning. Um, I'm uh, a seasoned armillaria gardener. Oh, good, <laughs> good. We need people like you to tell us the right thing. Well, um, we've had it uh, in this area for... 20 years. Yeah. Um, when it first appeared in my neighbours, um, he uh, had someone from, I think it was then called the Department of Agriculture. Yeah. Uh-huh. In and um, she um, said, well, virtually the the only thing that is resistant that they know of, because there's not a lot of research done no. in this area, mm-hmm. um, is potosporum. But I don't know which potosporum because he just pass this information on to me mm. however i have found i mean my garden is densely packed with with plants mm-hmm. so you know you definitely can keep gardening with with armillaria even though it's you know it's it's a vile um fungus mm. and there's absolutely nothing that you can put on it to yep. get rid of it that's mm-hmm. right um you know root aid things uh just really don't don't help at all mm. however i have found that um if you it always comes up sometime in june yep. so if you're really watching for it as soon as those um uh the fruiting, fruited, fruiting mm. buds come up get rid of them um make sure that no little bits drop off mm-hmm. um they can come up very quickly and open quickly, and of course, once they open, the, the spores drop. Yeah, they sure do, don't they? You they know. they do, and very fast. You mm, know, you can mm, you can mm. go one day and and there's nothing there, and then the next, you know, you're too late. Mm. However, I have found that although I've I've lost um, plants, uh, trees, uh, and shrubs over the years, uh, you can really. If you're just onto it all the time, and um, in in that uh, that period, it's only in June, um, you really can manage. And I, I've found that if the if I get all the uh, the fruiting buds, then I really don't have any losses in that year. Okay. So well, that's that's well, my experience, and I think that that's really the only way you can manage it. Yeah, well, look, thanks very much for that because it. Um, I know, you know, it is a problem. We had it in our garden in Heathmont and uh, some one great big um, cedar, red cedar, tuna, oh, um, started, you know, di- died on one side. Yeah. But it, it kept going. Yes. But um, And then just all of a sudden you'd find a, a branch had died back, you know. and yes. uh, So that's how it often affects trees. Well, depending on which route it... Yeah, that's right. That's right, Mm. where it's at. So, look, thanks very much for that. Am Uh, I right in thinking that it affects trees more than other plants? um, Trees and shrubs, yes. I think because uh, with things like perennials, the the roots really don't go down far enough. Mm. 
I, I think that's probably the explanation. Because I've never heard of salvias being affected by our malaria. No, no, no. I haven't. Um, oh, my my neighbour did lose a, a pelargonium once, but uh, yeah. that was because it was in a pot, and then the root went right down through the pot into the ground. Uh-huh. Um, but um, by and large, um, plants like that are okay. It's it's really trees and shrubs. If you can get the roots out, fine. But you know that's really not feasible often. No, that that's right. It's a huge job trying to trace all those roots of of a, of a tree that's been killed by our malaria. Yeah. 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 My neighbour on the other side uh, had a bit of it, and he's very diligent, and <laughs> he actually got rid of all of the roots, uh-huh. and he's never had any since. Okay. Okay. Wow. That's encouraging. Yeah. Yes, but it's pretty radical. Yep, that's right. Well, my, my friends would have to actually take the house down, so that's yeah. a slight problem. Yeah, yeah. Given the house is 18th century. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, well, that's not on, but it is manageable. Thank you very much for all okay. that information. That's wonderful. <laughs> not at all. Bye. Okay. Now, we have a call maybe about the plant that Anne was interested in and we have Sue online. Good morning, Sue. Hi, Gwen. How are you? Very well, thank you. Yes, I was out um, trying to find plants to fill my gaps for my open garden yesterday (laughs) and I saw the chrysanthemum at um, the Mount Evelyn Garden Centre, so the one in the middle between Karanga and um, Garden Lovers. Right. Got the burnt orange chrysanthemum at eleven dollars a pot. Okay, well, at least it means that it's around. I mean, Anne is yes. in Oak Park, and maybe Mount Evelyn is out of reach. But at least it, it means that oh. it is around. But if she rang Mount Evelyn Garden Centre, Mount yes. they may be able to tell her. And it's absolutely beautiful. If I uh-huh. had had the spot to put it, I would have bought it yesterday. Okay. So, mm, yeah. mm. All right. Well, thank you okay. very much. I'm sure Anne is still listening, and um, and we'll um, all come and see your garden next week, Sue. Wonderful. <laughs> okay. I've been out planting before the garden show now I'm dusting then I'm going out planting again <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. okay then okay Thank thanks for your call right it's now nine o'clock on uh, Melbourne time which is not daylight saving for those who have just woken up or been awake for hours I forget which way we went but we're going the right way it is no longer 10 it, o'clock it's not 10 o'clock so it's too early for morning coffee you've got a time to go out and do some gardening for an hour before coffee and we'll be on Air for another 15 minutes. If you'd like to join in the conversation, 94190155 or to speak to Anne off air, 94198377. Roger, we've got time for... What was that? There seems to be a question from Anne looking for something that will be attractive in a very shady area. Oh, there's so much, isn't there? Plectranthus. I start with plectranthus oh, and move. Roger's got one. <laughs> <laughs> Roger, tell us about your plectranthus. Yeah. Plectranthus is in the mint family, if, if people don't know plectranthus. But there's a whole range of them. I forget how many different plectranthus. There might be 80 or 90 or even more. Um, Australia's got about 20, 20 odd or a bit more. And uh, one I brought in today. You won't find in nurseries, very, well, hardly ever at this stage, hopefully down the track you will, but it's called Plectranthus cremnus, and it just grows on the, more or less, the, the heads around Coffs Harbour and south of Coffs Harbour down to Crescent Head and places like that. And it's a, it's a low-growing one, um, nice, soft, 
greyishy green or greenish grey, no greyish green probably, um, leaves and it has these quite deep, um, not I suppose nearly purple, purplish flowers and it just goes on flowering fangs. It's been flowering at our place now probably for three months and it'll go on for much longer. And the thing is if you cut off the old flower heads then you get new flower heads coming from the sides and the side shoots. Um, but other plectranthus, there's Suave, just a, of the native ones, Suave Olens, which has a purplish flower, a more greyish leaf. Um, there's another one, Graviolens, which is, um, Graviolens means scented, I think. Um, it can be quite, get quite tall with bluishy purple flowers. There's uh, one around at the moment, Eclonii, which is yeah, Eclonii, as tall as a body. Eclonii is probably and one of the spectacular ones. That's beautiful. You'll see it around in a lot of gardens yep. at the moment. It's it's head high, yep. but it cut flowers all the way up and yep. in purple or white, and it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I grow a stunning one called Zuluensis, Plectranthus Zuluensis. I think it must have come from South Africa. I think it might. Mm. When I went to the South African to Kirstenbosch, I was stunned by the Plectranthus. They mm. had so many Plectranthus. But even on even on the forty degree days, they look terrible. But they always come back. Oh, that's right. They're a good indicator of extreme dryness. Actually, if, you know, if things are really, really dry, they will go flop. But um, the, the, and there's the the so called uh, Argentatus plectranthus Argentatus, which is around um, that does really well under shade and being and dog's bane. Yeah, dog's bone. Which stays yeah. very, very low. Yeah, yeah. That, and smells a, horrible. It does, but it's flowering well at the moment. I know mm. it's around. So, you know, there are plectranthus. Other things for shade. Um, I, think, I think there's a, a heck of a lot of plants that are suitable for shade, but I think, Roger, there are two different areas of shade. And I know Karanga Nursery have got information sheets. One is plants for shady dry mm-hmm. and the other is plants for shady moist to wet areas. Yep. Um, there are lots of plants in nature that grow underneath other plants and they, you know, they don't grow behind fences and houses in nature but certainly under trees. And sometimes they like shady dry and sometimes shady moist. So I think that's the thing you've got to work out first, whether your shady area is woodland if it's woodland or if it's dry shade. Or, or whether mm. the big trees are hogging all the moisture there is and, um, you know, there's not much there at all. So, well, Clivias um, or Clivias do very well. Oh, in dry yes. shade. Mm. You know, if, if people are wanting something like mm. that, they flower for such a long time. So, yeah, there are, are quite a few different things. Yeah, Karanga's website probably has all the things on their list or they could probably post you out a copy of their leaflets. Uh, you'd need to ring them on 9760-8100 or all your local nurseries if you ask for plants for shade. But make sure you're aware whether it's moist shade or dry shade. Yeah. Okay, we better go to our next call. I think we have John, who's in Rosanna. Good morning, John. Morning, panel. Um, I bought a small crepe myrtle, uh-huh. and uh, it's actually called a zuni on the pot, which uh-huh. I think is a lilac, lilac flower. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, the problem is that where I want to plant it, I dug down about a foot, and it's clay. Mm. Um. So shall I put it there with, I've got soil to put in, I've got fresh, good soil to dump in the hole, but uh-huh. would that work or not? 
If you're going to always make sure that you incorporate that clay into your soil that you're putting in your hole. Yes. So it's so but, what I've chopped out already from the hole, I should mix with the soil when I yeah. fill the hole. And even make it wider, not deeper, but wider. Yeah. So but, the hole's about, I can't get it more than about a foot deep because it's so uh, hard. And I'm, I'm, no, wider. Yeah, 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 but I'm saying I can widen it, but I can't make it any deeper yet. Okay. Have you got a good fork? Uh, yes. Even if you could work your fork into that clay in the base, or even pour some water in there and leave it sit for a day before. I've already you... done so. Have for you? Good. Two days. That's, that's good. Well, that's excellent. But I was worried about whether that'd make it uh, its feet too wet. No, probably not at this time of year. And yeah. by the time you put other soil in that, that will absorb that. Uh... So I could make the hole probably twice as wide. Yeah, that's what a, I've got. That's a good about idea. About a foot wide by a foot deep now. Yeah. Okay. That and look. A foot deep should be. What's how deep's your pot? Your pot is probably about, about half a foot. Yeah, yeah, that, be that, eight inches maybe. Yeah, that that should be fine. But it, um, there is a product called um, Ground Breaker. Yes, uh, I'd I'd even get some of that and put that in because it's yeah. it is a really good product and uh, it will help just separate out some of those clay particles. So I'll mix that in with the soil mm. and, the, and the returning clay when I put it in? Yeah, yeah. Or you can just put it in water, yeah. and when you put the water in the hole and let it drain through, yes, right. it's an easy way to use it. And the yeah. clay has got very fine particles, and yeah. what it does, it causes them to sort of aggregate together yeah. a bit like a raspberry, yeah. and so that the water and air can, you know, get down in right. amongst it. Hmm. I was mainly concerned as to what the future of the plant would be yeah. because of having its feet in clay. I've, yeah. got, I've got crepe myrtles at my place and they've been absolutely fine and my clay yeah. is clay. Yeah, yeah, same. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. The other thing is I, I've got a couple of citrus trees here, small trees. I'm looking at them in my yard right now. And um, at night time we often come out and find there are small little lizards crawling, scarpering all over the, all over the limbs. Okay. And um, I think um, that, that's fine. They're, they're lovely things to watch. Probably after insects, I suspect. Yeah, they would be, yeah. But, um, they, they wouldn't touch the fruit or the leaves, would they? No, not not little skinky-type Yeah, lizards. those sort of things. No. There's a family of them. Yeah, they'd oh, be fine. How lovely. And the, um, the, 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 the damn possums get at the, at yeah. the fruit sometimes. That's right, yeah. yeah. They, with, with my grapefruit, they eat the outside and don't touch the inside. The possums? Yeah. Yes, well, it's the same with my sons uh, who lives just up the road from me. He's got an enormous orange tree, which is sort of constantly fruiting. It's a miracle, and that the possums get into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. But the, liz- right. the lizards won't be causing; they'll be doing more good than harm. No, well, this was more facetious. This question, I'm, <laughs> sure, I'm sure they were. They weren't getting limes for their gin and tonics or anything like that. But, um, but well, that's all, really. Thanks that's for the terrific. advice. And Roger, what was that name again for the? Uh, Ground breaker. Ground breaker. I must and there, go write it down straight away. Yeah, that's a multi-crop product. There are a, the similar products around. So All anyway, right. have a look at your nursery or stuff, and it'll yes. be there. All right. Thank you very much. Good on you. Thanks, John. See you. Bye. Right, we've had one call off air as, um, from Jan saying she has Melaleuca, Wilson Eye, and Coastal Banks here are not flowering after two years. What should she do? Jan, I'd suggest call you patience. have a nice a cup of coffee, a nice book. Relax and just, you know, be, as Roger said, uh, don't be anxious. Give them time. They'll flower when they're ready. And if you need to tip prune them or anything to have them the shape you want, go for it. But, you know, you've got plenty of time yet. They'll flower when they're ready. Yeah, the, um, Ma- the Malaluka Wilson eye flowers on old wood. Mm. 
So you've got to get the old wood first and then you'll get flowers right up the stems and it'll be quite spectacular. Okay, we're now going to Bentley East uh, to speak to Ruth. Good morning, Ruth. Oh, good morning to you all and thank you for your show again. Pleasure. Um, now, I've had two gravillias, Winpara Gem and Winpara Gold, mm-hmm. and they've been in now, this is going on for their third season. They've never done well. They uh-huh. grow, but they always look like um, they've got dieback, okay. except for the, you know, so I'm thinking of taking them out. Yep. I've done all the sea salt and... Mm-hmm. You know, all the watering and everything, but yep. I'd like to put in their place um, two Lurcospernum cordifolium. Oh, yeah, mm. yeah, fine. Now, and then I'm just wondering um, what to do with the soil once I get them out. I've got compost and stacks of leaves and all that sort of stuff. Do I just build the soil back up for a while or? Yeah, look, what look, would be the best? They don't want too rich a soil. No, the leucospermums, that's right, Virginia, would they they don't like it too rich. So you yep. won't don't don't pour lots of compost in. Okay. It, that's the mate. So you're on sandy soil at Bentley East? Oh we've been here for a long time and it was never very good and I've just gradually okay. built it up okay. with all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. 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 But a little little bit will be fine, but not too much. And mm-hmm. um you know, as long as they're getting plenty of sun, they should do fine for you. And the drainage is good? You yes, dra- yeah. yes, yes. I've gone through and checked all that. And, yeah. Um, I just, well, I'm just at my wit's end with these two. And I just don't know what else to do with them. And I thought, yeah. right, you've had a good enough go. Yeah, okay. Well, that's that's the thing to do if you're not happy here. Yeah, put something else in there. But uh, hopefully the leucosperm cordifoliums, it's such a beautiful plant. So. Yes, but definitely, definitely don't overfeed it. No. No. Okay. Right. Well, then that's pretty good. So if I just turn the soil over and use yeah. just a tiny bit and yeah, let it be. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for your call. We're quickly running out of time this morning, even though we have an extra hour somewhere along the line. But we do have time to talk to Ken, who's in Sunshine. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. Look, I was just having a bit of a chuckle. I, I was shifted in Sunshine 41 years ago, and it's very clay soil, and it's yep. excellent soil, actually. Yep. Clay is a great soil. What I did, I mixed sand. Yep. And you wouldn't get it any more cake dust because I worked in the I worked for the gas and fuel and yeah, yeah, I was yeah. able to get a whole heap of cake dust. Yeah. And you can stick a fork in my garden anywhere you like, and it's beautiful soil. Yeah. Mm. So that's all I just wanted to say. That's oh no, look, me. Coke, coke dust has got uh, some really good things in it. It's got. Uh, stuff called IBA, indole-butyric acid, which is one of the rooting hormones. And so it's really good for plant growth. And even brown coal, uh, crushed-up brown coal is excellent too. So it makes a good additive. uh, And clay soils, you know, you can grow more things in clay soils than you can in sandy soils. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. It uh, made me laugh. I must be a nut. I moved in the house in June. And I dug back and front every night before I went to bed <laughs> to put, and I put in a lawn, and, and they had me garden planted out ready for, ready for spring. Anyway, good. Your program's fantastic. It's the best there is. Thank you for contributing. Happy Easter. Yeah, okay, Ken. Thank, Thank you for you. contributing Bye. to it. Okay, that's about all we have time for. I'm afraid. 
big thank you to Peter who's been just pressing buttons I won't say madly, enthusiastically. Thanks so much, Peter, for Such getting us. Such a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Thank you. Happy <laughs> we Easter. Hope, yes, and to you. And thank you to Vicky and Anne, who've been doing all the work off air, and to Virginia and Roger. And Pam will be back next week. So thank you for being involved, and bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.